Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner. Hello and welcome back to the Summer of Travolta here on The Contrarians. Julio, we're back yet again. Another night, another Travolta movie in the books. Yes. Um, not going to lie, I'm getting a little choked up. This is the beginning of the end. This is part one of our big Summer of Travolta finale. Part one of the, the climate, or the conclusion, rather. Uh, we'll have the Travoltis, but the, we, that won't be for any specific movie. This is... Uh, yeah, this is the second to the end. Yeah, we're, we're, we're almost the there. The penultimate film of the Summer of Travolta. Uh, we are, if you've been listening to us and you know been paying attention to our agenda, our itinerary here on the Summer of Travolta, you know that today is uh, Get Shorty, the 1995. What the hell kind of movie is this? What do you call this? Yeah, a, confusing. Uh, a comedy noir? Uh, a Hollywood satire? Perhaps a satire laden uh, with, you know, just malice and discontent. And Elmer Leonard, uh, just resentful, bitter jab at Hollywood. I, I think that one's pretty fair. And uh, Barry Sonnenfeld, like a total Judas, just kissing him on the cheek. Now, kissing who? Harvey Weinstein on the cheek? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I don't know about all that. Uh, collected his 30 coins of gold. <laughs> Uh, Get Shorty uh, is the story uh, written, or excuse me, it's a novel written by uh, Elmer Leonard, directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. This was Travolta's follow-up to Pulp Fiction. This was the movie he did afterwards, so this is when he was the king of the castle, the cock of the walk. As soon as the industry welcomed him back with open arms, he turned around and said, well, let me tell you what I think about you. Uh, This is, again, part one, so we'll be doing the... Way more financially and critically successful sequel, Be Cool, for the next episode. Um, kind of the reverse here. Get Shorty, I believe it's around 84%, 87% of Rotten Tomatoes. I'll make sure to check in, in the intermission. So people obviously liked it. What, what were people saying about this one, Julio? Um, well, um, I'm glad you mentioned that this was his follow-up to Pulp Fiction because there's a lot of Pulp Fiction mentions on the, <laughs> on the quotes, starting with Alex Sandel from Juicy Cerebellum, who says, not a bad Pulp Fiction rehash. Okay. Philip Martin from Arkansas Democrat Gazette says, Get Shorty isn't Quentin Tarantino watered down. It's Elmer Leonard done right. Should have said Elmer Leonard liquored up. I hope one of the negative reviews we read later is, This is Tarantino watered down. So <laughs> that one was just like the reply to it. Uh, Matt Brunson from Crea- Creative Loafing says, Releasing the shadow of Pulp Fiction, Get Shorty, for all its acclaim, has never received its due as one of the funniest Hollywood films of modern times. This wasn't modern times. This was Get Shorty. It was, it was in color. Oh, okay. It's it out. was in modern times. I see. 
Harlan Jacobson from TV Guide. This Hollywood is the one we want to believe exists. No film school snots here. The one where Gene Hackman <laughs> just guns someone down. No MBAs. No, no doc worker philosophers turned screenwriters. Just a town full of second-rate swindlers. I mean, yeah, if that's what you want from your Hollywood, I mm -hmm. guess you get it in spades. Yeah. Uh, Edward Guthman from the San Francisco Chronicle says, It's Travolta, smooth, commanding, handsome as ever, a cool, rhythmic bop in his walk, who owns the film. This whole movie is that scene from season four of Seinfeld where Kramer goes to Hollywood and he tries to pitch his script to Ben <laughs> Savage and he keeps tripping over himself. I thought you were going to say this whole movie is the opening of Saturday Night Live. It's just Travolta walking like he owns the world. Saturday Night Fever? The, Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. I'm sorry. They're both the Rene same Russo thing. just turns to the camera, live from New York. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we have two very special uh, audio clips from a couple of people that faithful listeners will recognize. Hello, Contrarians listeners. Brandon Curtis here, guest host of the episodes The Wild Bunch, 48 Hours, and Another 48 Hours. What can I say about Good Shorty? It's one of Travolta's most laid-back and effortless roles. Everyone is having a blast and operating at the peak of their considerable talents. They love the script and the interplay. It's playful but with a sense of menace, which is pretty much the defining characteristic of Travolta post-comeback. That's good. He's good in <laughs> Hey guys, this is Chaz, the guest from the amazing American Hustle episode, which is still a brilliant movie, as stated by Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, tomatoes, tomatoes. Uh, and also A Good Day to Die Hard. Julio and Alex have asked me just to give my thoughts on Get Shorty uh, to cap off this amazing summer of Travolta. And I love Get Shorty. It's such an amazing way of being kind of grounded and somewhat realistic while still being absurd and comedic and uh, adult without being graphic. It's kind of like has a Quentin Tarantino tone without the more offensive aspects of or t rough aspects of Tarantino's work. Uh, just fantastic. Also a travesty that it then led to Be Cool, one of the most offensive sequels of all time. Well, slow down, Chess. Be cool is not until part two of our finale, uh, but but. And I would say it it's great nice. to hear from our previous guests, but Chaz, um, I think all but sealed his blackballed status here on the Contrarians by that his uh, shout out to American Hustle there in the middle of the summer of Travolta. How dare he sully the summer of Travolta yes. by bringing in that filth? Um, well, gentlemen, respectfully. I'm going to disagree because I was just completely lost this whole time. Yes. This is uh, this is Contrarian's Corner. I'm we... Alex. That's Julio. <laughs> and this is where uh, we argue against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. This is considered I fresh. Think our so... mantra that we've jumped on is we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes we machine. We rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Uh, we rally around our family with a pocket full of shells. Yes. So regardless of how we actually feel in Contrarian's Corner, we just go against the Rotten Tomatoes score. You'll hear how we really feel in the second portion, the aptly titled Real Talk. Uh, so, Get Shorty, man, Travolta was literally just sauntering through this whole thing. It's a movie about John Travolta bullying his way through Hollywood. For real. What kind of precedent <laughs> does this sit? Who wants this fucking Hollywood? Dude, I'm telling you, this is how you get, like, the Harvey Weinsteins of the world. It's like people that just, they're just boss everybody around, and, and they're just like, oh, you don't want to do what I want in my movie? I will ruin your life. And then they get away with murder. I mean, Travolta literally gets away with murder in this movie. He does. I mean... 
is well, I think that's Tony accessory Soprano. accessory yeah. to murder. <laughs> uh, the foreshadowing of what was in James Gandolfini's future. Um, so again, let's just get down to it. Uh, the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour. John Travolta plays Chili Palmer and gets Shorty, the main character, who is a loan shark working out of Miami that basically does bad things for bad guys. Yes, uh, which is, I think that it's kind of a cheap shortcut. Knowing that this is coming right after Pulp Fiction, you know he's playing a gangster there. So what's the next role that that he gets? A gangster <laughs> with shorter hair. Shorter hair. No tie this time. No, he's a uh, bit more laid back than Vincent Vega. No monologues. No, he knows movies though, page and verse. That's the thing. Yeah, it's not foot massages this time. It's Rita Hayworth and Ava Gardner that he's talking about. No Royale with cheese, just uh, Orson Welles movies. There you go. Uh, the movie starts with him in a dispute, a kerfuffle, as it were, with uh, Ray Barboni, Bones, played by uh, Dennis... Dennis Farina. Thank you. Uh, he steals his coat, which, I mean, if you're from around the way, you know this. that's just not... That doesn't fly. <laughs> that's not a, a wise move to pull in Miami, apparently, in Florida. It's not. And also Travolta's car keys are in the jacket. So he Doesn't he go to his home? And- Breaks his nose. Yeah, he b- breaks into his house and just punches him in the face. Uh, and then Bones, in an act of hubris, goes and decides he's going to kill Travolta. And with some of the more unrealistic gun work I've seen in a movie, he like doesn't he just skim the top of his head with <laughs> yep. a bullet? Yeah, he leaves him a little almost birthmark. A reminder. It's like the Zorro Z. <laughs> yes, the Travolta bullet. Travolta's mob boss is Momo. Do they give any more than that? It's not no. Momo Gaddafi. It's just, just Momo. Momo. Okay. Just Momo, and we know he's turning 65. That's all we know. That's all we'll ever know about him. And then, you know, talk about fat shaming. This movie is just showing this guy really struggling to get up the stairs, and then they he walks into a surprise party from all his family, and fatty fall down. That's basically the gag here to open the film. It cuts us into the title credits. It's like a throw to the opening credits. Get shorty. Ha ha, fatty. <laughs> But in what this sets into play, the series of events turns into, if I'm understanding this correctly... I don't blame you if you didn't. Chili Palmer now answers to Bones? Right. Because I guess I'm not a professional mobster. I know how, how these things work. But I guess that they had split the... Like, the territories were split a certain way. And then when Momo dies, the other dude... Uh, the other Bobo. big mobster, Bobo, who's played by the president of uh, Playtone Records. A little throwback to that's uh, right. Yeah, that guy's just—I mean, much well, like the Dennis Farina. Him, he's just getting a massage, right? Right, and being just nasty. Like that was not a wig that he was wearing, and uh, when in that thing you do, that's his hair. <laughs> uh, and he, so he takes over once Momo dies, mm-hmm. and that means that Dennis Farina works for him. So now Dennis Farina takes over that territory as well, which means that Travolta now works for him. And his first assignment is to go get uh, Lou DeVoe. Right, David Paymer. Yes. Who... Fuck that guy. He cheated death. (laughs) Yes. He final destinationed himself into this movie. He got off a plane that he was supposed to be on, and it crashed, and so he's supposed to be dead, and he gets a $300,000 settlement payout, and he owes them money. So Travolta is sent to Vegas to collect the money, correct? Right. Travolta well, Travolta's is sent to uh, talk to his wife, to Leo's wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she, because Travolta's so damn attractive, I guess, 
she just confesses to him that Leo's not dead, that he okay. that he that he's in Vegas. Then he goes to Vegas and the guy from Vegas is like, No, he's not here anymore. He went to LA. And since you're gonna go to LA, can you talk to Gene Hackman for me because he owes me money? Yes, that's where he picks up the second job. Right. Okay. Now, we're like a solid fifteen minutes into the movie. It's like I don't even know what the movie's about yet. <laughs> it's like those those children stories where you know, like the main character is set with the goal, mm-hmm. and then he arrives, and they're like, "Okay, I'll give you this thing, but first you need to get me this thing." And so then he goes to get that thing, and then he when he arrives there, the person that has that thing tells him, "Okay, I'll give you this thing, but you have to get me this thing." And so the entire children's it's like Metal Gear is, Solid. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like uh, one of the Zelda games. Yeah, you know. But instead of like enchanting wonder, it's just a hundred minutes of confusion. A hundred minutes of just grown men. Just bullying each other. Mm -hmm. And Gene Hackman poorly attempting a comedic performance. Oh, dude. I mean, this is like Tom Hardy and this means war. (laughs) It's uh, Hackman who, overall, he has sort of a distinguished career. You know who Gene Hackman is. Yeah. You don't think of him as a class clown. called fucking... uh, Wes Anderson, a cunt. Right. You, where is that guy? He's nowhere to be found. Where in this is movie. our hero? He's not. <laughs> right. Not you, here. You're like, oh, Gene Hagman is going to square off against Travolta. Travolta, who thinks it's the shit back in Florida, mm-hmm. right? This is going to be interesting. But no, Hackman is just. He's Wes Anderson in this movie. He, <laughs> I mean, the teaser poster before this was like the grudge match poster with De Niro and Stallone, where it was just Hackman and Travolta on either side of it. Uh, so. Kind of got ahead of ourselves there. We're introduced to Harry Zim, played by Gene Hackman, who's sporting quite the uh, MAGA goatee in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And just, like, painfully white teeth also. He's Ross from Friends. Uh his the opening shot, how we meet him is he's in bed with Renata Russo. Renata Russo is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's always gorgeous, but this movie, it's just. Like I told you when we were watching it, peak Rene Russo hotness. Yes. And so the introduction to this character is he's in bed with Rene Russo. He has to be the man. It's so far my expectations of what this Hackman performance <laughs> is going to bring to this movie are being met. So he goes down because he hears a, a rose such a clatter from his living room. Uh, John Travolta is down there and basically just gives him the what for. And is this where we get the the most – the the quote of this movie, the line, the look at me, look at does me. he use it here? It's, it's the first of a uh, hundred times we're going to hear this this line. It's the Avatar, I see you. And what happens here? Travolta says, "Give, I, I'm here to collect money. And Hackman says, I can have it in 90 days. Is it here, though, we discover he has more debt than we were aware of? Um well, yeah, he he tells him, I, I guess, whatever money he owes to the casino that sent Travolta from Vegas, mm-hmm. he'll pay, allegedly, by the end of the month, right? But then uh, but then he tells Travolta, oh, well, since you're a, since you're a tough guy, do you want to help me with these other guys that I also owe them money? That's right. He owes uh, Delroy Lindo and John Grise $200,000. I am so glad. I've seen this movie a few times. And uh, the one thing that made it better this time around is that you pointed out that... Uh, Uncle Rico? Uncle Rico is in it. Unrecognizable. Yeah, he looks young. And I also read Matthew McConaughey was up for that role. Uncle Rico, you need to let let the smaller actors have some fun. Uh, McConaughey went on to make Texas Chainsaw Massacre the next generation. <laughs> 
John Travolta pitches uh, a movie idea to Gene Hackman, and basically just it's to bring us up to speed, which I will say this was helpful to me because it's basically a retelling of why we're in the situation that we're in right now. Do you think that was Travolta's idea? He found... I think they didn't know the cameras were rolling. He was trying to explain the plot to Gene Hackman, you know, because they were trying to figure out what the fuck's going on in this movie. And then Renee uh, Russo was literally standing there listening. Oh, rolling her eyes. Yeah. Uh, her character's name, Karen Flores. Yes. And, like Travolta's immediately smitten with her, of course. Like all of us. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like you said, something about a beautiful woman in an oversized T-shirt. Yes. Uh, and then, of course, you kind of, once you see how Hackman is behaving, I know I keep coming back to this, but <laughs> you are not worth it. You're not worthy of, of just hooking up with Rene Russo. If you're just going to fold as soon as Travolta looks at you like a bad guy. Yeah. And it's just, again, everything that's wrong with Hollywood. He just treats her like she's inconsequential, disposable. Both in her acting and in her romantic capacities. Well, they're at her house. Mm -hmm. I, I, I hadn't realized that until she says, how about you two leave my house? Get yeah. out of my house. And Gene Hagman's just offering up her liquor. And, you know, I'm surprised he wasn't making eggs and bacon for Travolta. <laughs> uh, Bo and Ronnie, the aforementioned Delroy and Grise, uh, they run a limo service that, again, um, Harry Zemo's $200,000. They... There's a meeting set up to where he basically coerces them into financing the movie. Not coerces, but convinces. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, he went from wanting Travolta to scare him off, to get him off his back, to actually telling them about this new movie that mm -hmm. he wants. Because uh, oh, that's the other thing. Because there aren't enough things going on in this movie. There's also this screenplay that Hackman is interested in. He needs $500,000 to buy it from... Uh, from Bette Midler. Who's Mr. The, Lovejoy. Mr. Lovejoy. She's the widow of the gentleman who wrote it. Right. So uh, they developed it together, but then the guy died, so, and now they didn't have a contract, so now the widow owns it, and she will sell it for... Man, Bette Midler in this movie. <laughs> Chef's kiss. <laughs> I mean, as gratuitous as, as the Halle Berry nudity in Swordfish, yes. which is did... Uh, Again, at least this advances a plot in some fashion. <laughs> it's not just, hey, Bette Midler, get naked. She but, doesn't get but naked. But almost. <laughs> it's a classy bustier that she's donning, I think. Uh, and then, of course, speaking of you know classy negligee and a chef's kiss and just mm, young, virile, handsome James Gandolfini makes an appearance here as the aptly, uh, the very fittingly named bear has... Uh, one hell of a haircut going on here. It's 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 hairy up there. Yes, it's, it's ponytail and beard and just yeah. he he is Hawaiian fitter, shirt, Hawaiian shirt, fitter than I've seen him in any other movie. Intimidating it, as shit. Yes, the big guy. I mean, we grew to be terrified of him as Tony Soprano, cold blooded motherfucker. But here, you know, even rookie Mike Tyson was potentially scarier than in his prime. Rookie James Gandolfini here definitely is an imposing figure. He smiles a lot more than than latter day Gandolfini. I think that makes him scarier. Exactly. He's you know, he'll smile at you then like he did with Travolta, jokes around with him and then beats the shit out of him. Yeah. Uh on the side plot if this was Metal Gear Solid, this is the road we go down where we fight Grey Fox out of nowhere <laughs> and it makes no fucking sense. 
Travolta finally finds Leo, uh, David Paymer, um, tracks him down to his casino and takes the $300,000. He leaves a little bit to him to gamble away. Yeah, he tells him that he's taking it. He's taking part of it to pay back, I guess, Dennis Farina. Bones. But then he's also going to take the rest uh, as a as a loan, mm-hmm. which I guess he's going to use to finance, to help Jing Hackman finance his movie. Maybe. Potentially. It never happens. This is actually based on how the movie Bushwhacked with Daniel Stern was financed. This is... Was it Daniel Stern going around town? Just yeah. basically, look at me. <laughs> hey, look at me! <laughs> so David Paymer, what's, what is it like to be David Paymer and getting cast in these roles constantly? Were you just kind of like weaselly and a pushover? I'm waiting it, for someone to cast him in a role like Sonny in The Godfather, uh, where James Conn just beats the shit out of the guy <laughs> in the alley. David Paymer telling him, where's my fucking money? I, I just want to see him in a Marvel movie. As a superhero. I mean, we've got 87 in the, the canon, so... It will happen at some point. Yeah, he'll be Ant-Man's dad. <laughs> well, I want to see him in a costume. I mean, and as a bad guy. Uh, what, what bad guy? I some They just bought Fox, right? So maybe he can be an X-Men bad guy. He can, he be, can be Mr. Sinister. <laughs> yes. There you go. Hey, X-Men. <laughs> Here I am. Um, but just like with really shitty makeup on... In a movie of phoned-in performances, maybe none are more awe-inspiring than the next character we're introduced to, Martin Weir, played by uh, Frank Reynolds himself, Danny DeVito, who literally cannot be bothered to even stand for his scenes in this movie. He's just sitting and basically feigning acting. Is this what actors do to pop themselves in between takes and shit like this? It's, I felt like he was doing an impression of somebody to pop the boys. It's... it's <laughs> Uh, it's uh, kind of embarrassing because we know that that the video is better than this, mm-hmm. especially in a comedy. There, there are some people that Hackman. Yes, we've been ragging on him, but comedy is not his genre, yeah. right? So we're like, it's all a bit right, unfair it, to harp on him for that, right? We're just the piece doesn't fit. You know what? What are you gonna do? But Devito, this is this is bread and butter. He should be doing better than this. He should be seizing the moment. It's not even like he has to carry the whole movie. Mm-hmm. He has what two, three scenes tops in yeah. this movie, and he just comes in, he sits down, and he just takes the piss out of acting. Yep. And he, I guess, the real significance of this scene is he's the first person to steal the "look at me" line from Travolta. Martin Weir. Weird times. Danny DeVito's character is a very notable actor. He's on one of the billboards in Hollywood upon their arrival. Uh, he's also the ex-spouse of Rene uh, Russo's character, uh, Karen. They're trying to woo him with this script. They're trying to get him involved because they know this movie will have some oomph behind it if he's in it. Right. So he's, the- I, I don't remember the main character from Entourage, but... Uh, Vinny? Vincent? Is that his name? I don't know. We have to ask Eddie. But... I, I've tried to block most of that movie out of my memory. Uh, yeah, he is. He is Vinny from Entourage. Uh, he, it's because the movie has at least, I want to say maybe three movies, three movies within the movie that mm-hmm. are running, right? Because you have Mr. Lovejoy, which is a movie that they really want to make. And then you have the untitled Travolta project that he's pitching to everybody that's based on his real life. Mm-hmm. And then you have a movie that Karen's working on because she comes back at some point from shooting some dumb horror movie. Well, that's the thing. Hackman and Karen are both at the B level, whereas DeVito's character is like a legitimate actor in Hollywood. His, 
his Vinny and the Entourage movie, not in the first couple of seasons of the show. He's down in his luck, Vinny, who gets a call from Martin Scorsese. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so they think they're there to pitch him Mr. Lovejoy because he had expressed interest in the script a long time ago. But then once they get there, Travolta instead pitches him the the Lone Shark story based on his life and on the pursuit of Leo. Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, jumping ahead to the very end, we see a movie that gets made at the at the end of the movie. I couldn't tell you which one it is because we never really know much about Mr. Lovejoy and what we know of the Travolta project that's being pitched is mm-hmm. just stuff as it happens, right? He just keeps – it's like you said. It's like an exposition tool to remind us where we are in the movie because there's yeah. so much going on. It's like a re- – it's a, a save point and right. a, a recap of what's going on. Uh the aforementioned Bette Midler appears as Doris. Uh, she appears at Gene Hackman's doorstep, and we understand now why he was in Karen's uh, home, because his apartment is a fucking shithole. She comes in and has that great line, mm, my favorite color, putty. And she quickly... Disrobes? Disrobes and uh, throws herself at Gene Hackman. And Hackman says, I don't know how I feel about this. And well, then she grabs his dick. Yeah. She's like, you feel good? <laughs> He says, well, moralistically. <laughs> but then they fuck anyway. Yeah. And it's like, if you were going to... Good for both of them. Yes. At the same time, this movie's already radar. There's mm-hmm. a lot of fucks thrown around. There's a lot of graphic violence. I mean, somehow, I think we just skipped over Dennis Farina punching a woman in the face. Oh, um, yes. His interrogation methods are a bit different than Travolta's, because yeah. he's not as good-looking or charming. Yeah. Well, he's also in a completely different movie. He's... He is playing Gene Hackman in a hard-hitting cop drama. Yeah. He, uh, this is like an episode of Law & Order. He, every time you cut to Farina, it's just forget about comedy. It's no just, nonsense. It's no nonsense brutality. And he goes to, to question Leo's wife, and she tries to send him away. Instead, gets punched in the face, and then her nose is bleeding, and it's just nasty. Where is he? Where he basically just getting the information he needs. Yeah. So in a movie that gives you this, you already have... Gene Hackman and and Bette Midler getting it on. Why are you gonna do the the classy fade to black? <laughs> like like this movie is better than that. <laughs> I mean, you're giving me the the grim and gritty of Hollywood and show business. Mm-hmm. Show me, just go all the way. Give me the Lars Van Trier special here, <laughs> right? Non-simulated. I, mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying full frontal or anything, but at least why does it have to be PG-13 just in that moment? I don't know. Maybe it was Hackman has a thing about his ass in movies. I guess I don't know what it is. Get an ass double. I mean, if, you, if you're not at the um, level of uh, Robert Duvall in Phenomenon, then just don't come to the game. But I can't say that. On the summer Travolta, we've seen asses that I wasn't expecting to see. No Travolta's, though. No. We have one left. One movie left. I don't remember if he... We'll see if we can have the trophy unlocked. You've unlocked Travolta ass. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm saying is, like, you don't get to see enough, like, senior citizen sex scenes. Mm-hmm. And in a movie that's... <laughs> don't you, isn't it Martin Landau and uh, fucking Ed TV? Does he? I've seen it once. I don't okay. remember. Uh, I know Jack Nicholson gets it on with uh, Diane Keaton and Something's Gotta Give, I think. And doesn't he get it on with Kathy Bates and About Schmidt? Well, they get in the hot tub. You, They don't Ooh. really... <laughs> A frenzy of activity below the water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So Bo Delroy Lindo is a bad dude. He knows he does a little bit of research on Chili Palmer because something's just stuck in his craw about him. He finds out what's going on with Ray Bones. He he knows the situation and he fills in Gene Hackman. He fills in Harry Zims about you know he has this three hundred thousand dollars. He's not giving you this money. So yet another side quest. Yeah. To add to your. If you want to get to 100% by the end of the game, you have to pursue all these avenues. This is Arkham City. It's, <laughs> yes. It's, it's going to take a while. Uh, Harry Zim, Gene Hackman, then, in like, uh, whatever Tom Cruise was going for when he was talking to Cuba Gooding Jr. on the phone and Jerry Maguire, Gene Hackman tries to channel that but doesn't succeed. He fancies himself a tough guy now and calls... Uh, Ray Bones and like bullies him over the phone about you're gonna come here and give me money because I'm gonna give you Chili Palmer. Uh, this poor man. Now as we were talking, I've gone from being mad to Hackman for for sucking in this movie to feeling bad because really he he was never going to win this one. Mm-hmm. He the odds were completely stacked against him, and now I see that this was a desperate man just grasping for anything. At, to to get a laugh, Just throwing it at the wall. So yes, yeah, he's probably actually drunk in this <laughs> in this scene where he talks to Dennis Farina on the phone. And of course, just when you know that that your movie, your comedy is not working, just throw in toilet humor. I I, I don't, forgot Dennis Farina was on the shitter here. Yeah, I don't ever need to see Dennis Farina taking a shit. No, again. I wish I, mean, I hadn't. Why Why would you ever? Like, what scenario would it be in? Yeah, and it's like a long shot of him doing that. And then the rest of it, once he gets up, he, he's like holding his pants the entire time. It's just gross. It's off-putting. Because his, his face is still all bruised. And right, he, his nose was broken, so it's all swollen. It's swollen for the rest of the movie. He just tells Gene Hackman, I'm a human being. <laughs> um, so... Part of the agreement that Travolta, that Chili Palmer, and uh, Harry Zim make after Zim becomes aware of all this is about this mysterious locker at the local airport. So um, Bo, again, Delroy, bad dude, made some sort of deal with a group of Colombians that he was going to pay him half a million dollars for God knows what. He put it in a locker at the airport, and the young Colombian gentleman that came to take it uh, becomes really apprehensive, tracks Bo down to his loft, uh, Bo shoots him and kills him. Right, because he he notices like any same DA person would. That, agents, yeah, yeah, the agents everywhere. So there's just this alleged five hundred thousand, this half a million in cash in this locker at the airport. So uh, Delroy uh, tells Hackman, you know, hey, you can have this. You can finance your film. Hackman's obviously timid about it, and, and Travolta tells him, understandably so. They're probably fucking swimming with. Uh, Agents there, so let me try it, and I'll take it. And so we get this scene uh, that just fucking meanders. Travolta goes to the airport and checks out the locker. Uh, of course, he his plan was he checked out the locker next to it. He rented the right, locker right. Next to he it. he pays some dude to go and put uh, a bag, a bag, a bag with uh, Danny DeVito's book. Weird times. <laughs> Weird times. Stories my cousin told me. Brilliant. Why couldn't the movie be as funny as that book? <laughs> uh, yeah, he. so the locker is C-18, the locker that's being watched, and he pays this guy to put that in C-17. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of gets to scope out the situation. He tries to take a look inside. DEA agents flag him down, detain him. Uh, we we learn nothing. We accomplish nothing with this scene. Not really, other than airport security doesn't know what they're doing. No. And... Uh, and they're like really eager to strip search him. Mm-hmm. That's that's such a weird line. 
Yeah, it's one of those things like all the other guys are just like being serious, and the one guy's like, I could strip search you if I wanted to. Yeah, it's like I wonder if he just improv that. He thought he was being cool. And <laughs> what? What? It's not acknowledged at no. all. This is the key card sequence in Metal Gear Solid where you have to go to the different temperature rooms to heat up and cool down the card. Just, I guess it serves a purpose, but it just takes up time pretty much. Uh, right, because Travolta just come back saying, I don't have the money. Yeah. I can't get the money. And, I mean, we do get the awesome showdown between Vincent Vega and Tony Soprano in the parking garage at the airport. But then, like, fucking Soprano's just jobbed out to him. He pu- <laughs> he step- steps on his foot and then knees him in the balls and punches him in the stomach. It's the second time he hits him in the balls. Mm-hmm. Because first, when they run into each other at the restaurant, the first time that they face off, yeah. they're at and the... cup checks him. Yeah, yeah, he cup checks him and throws him down the stairs. So... He takes him out. He tells him, you know, tell your boss to fuck off and leave me alone. And then they become friends on the spot there. Because they both like movies. They well, both Tra- like movies. Travolta likes movies, and, and he's and, and Soprano's been in at least 60 movies as Bear's a stuntman. Bear's a stuntman, yeah. And he's yeah. like, what movies have you been in? You never heard of him. No, I wasn't. <laughs> and then You're My Best Friend by Queen starts playing, and then we fade to black. Soft fade Soft to fade. Black. It's a side swipe. Uh, a focus pull. Um, the Colombians come back to find out where the fuck... Uh, one, the the boss's nephew is, uh-huh. and the boss really doesn't give a shit though. He's just there to get the money, uh, and Bo is understandably rattled by this. Um, the first time that we see him rattled, I think, in the entire movie, mm-hmm. a, a little late to g- give your villain a little bit of humanity, but I guess better late than never. Ray Bones shows up in L.A. all the way from Miami. He immediately goes to Harry Zim's office. Uh, this is. Gene Hackman is all of us here, asleep with his, using his shirt as his pillow, just wakes up, really confused and realizing that this movie's still going and he has to put up a front at this point. Uh, and once again... And I, I can feel for him. Well, yeah, especially now, like I said... Not Harry was, Zim, Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman. Yeah. He was like, wait, what? <laughs> What's going to happen to me? <laughs> So there's an exchange of words, and uh, Ray Bones is in no mood to negotiate. And then Hackman, you know, like Anton Yelkin saying, come with me if you want to live in Terminator Salvation, just with the most feigned and unsure, unconfident delivery, says, look at me. And then this just causes Dennis Farina to fucking lose it. He does the old school mob thing where he picks up the rotary phone and hits him in the face with it. Yeah, you can't do that anymore. iPhones no. don't have that much weight to them. Yeah, if you hit someone in the face with an iPhone, just like... The iPhone breaks. I'm holding T, dickhead. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, beats the shit out of him. Hits yeah. the desk over, throws him into the wall. Hackman's selling here is just indicative of how tired he was at this point in the film. He just kind of... He hits the wall and comes... Oh, and then bounces back out. Uh... Yeah, that's no Sunman. That's that's actually Gene Hackman. You can tell. Oh yeah, that, and it, it's it's nasty. It I don't know in what world this qualifies as comedy, because not only is Hackman getting the shit beaten out of him, but it's. I mean, he's done bad things during the movie, but this is really like the bad guy getting a huge win. It's it's just unpleasant to watch. It's not like when you. It's not Travolta beating up like somebody that deserves it. No. This is just as close as we can get to a regular guy. It's not Butch beating up fucking Ving Rhames in Pulp Fiction. Right. It's not uh, uh, Bat Travolta beating Hyde uh, oh, for trying to date rape his daughter. I forgot in, he beat the shit of- out of Hyde. <laughs> and then 
I didn't remember until afterwards that that scene doesn't play too well in 2018 with all the accusations. Uh, oh, Jesus Christ. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not fucking Bruce Willis shooting Timothy Oliphant. No, it's no, it's just it's just uh, I mean, not that uh, they're probably the same age, but it feels like Hackman is considerably older than Farina here. Yeah. I think because he just looks so frail compared to him. But fear not, John Grise comes in to save the day. Uncle Rico comes in uh, to collect, and there's a bit of a stare down and a standoff. And then Dennis Farina, with just a big smile on his face, just guns down Uncle Rico in cold blood. Um, And then he puts the gun in Hackman's hands and says, hey, you have to shoot him. You know, you got to pull the trigger because fingerprints or something. He talks about the, but this is our this should have been our moment of redemption, right? Because Hackman points the gun at Dennis Freena and then he just treats him like a like a a joke. He's like, no, 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 Harry, yeah. you need to focus. We don't have time for this. I thought this was going to be a moment of redemption, where right? I was going to be like, pulled back into the movie. Shoot him in the dick. Yes. It looks like that was going to happen, but no. It hurts a lot Fade more to black. seeing uh, <laughs> seeing that character, seeing uh, Uncle Rico. Gun down. Now that I know it's Uncle Rico, before I could have cared less, but yeah. now, Jesus. Yeah. Now that I've contextualized it. Yeah. For you. Another one bites the dust. <laughs> uh, we get Bette Midler leading uh, Chili Palmer and Karen Flores into the hospital. Said she went to go check on Harry Zim and found the whole crime scene there. I do love how Bette Midler's seen so much shit in her day that uh, she knows the cops. Yeah, she knows the cops. One and then just. Uh, a bloody end, a dead body in a gunfight scene just does nothing to distract her or throw her off kilter. Yeah, she's not uh, she's not faced, which is kind of at odds. I don't know how I feel about this whole angle of the movie where they're just constantly shitting on screenwriting, mm-hmm. right? Like the screenwriter's wife cheating on him post-mortem, I guess. But still, it's just you get the feeling that she doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a scene earlier in the movie uh, where Delroy Lindo is talking to Travolta about the script, and he's basically saying, "Listen, there's nothing to screenwriting. You yeah. just you just tell the story, and then you just hire somebody to put in the commas and shit." It's a Seinfeld. <laughs> Maybe fix some spelling. Writer, it's a sitcom. <laughs> uh, it's. I mean, I guess it shouldn't surprise me from a movie that's constantly disrespecting Hollywood mm-hmm. and trying to expose it as as just a bunch of people playing pretend, <laughs> not knowing really what what's happening, but. It's still, I don't know. So we see the curtain get cut on Zim. Uh, they explain to his feet that they're having a meeting with, uh, um, what's Weir's first name? Martin Weir, uh, tomorrow to discuss the script. Uh, they show up for this aforementioned lunch meeting with Martin Weir, and Gene Hackman's there, completely, you know. Terminatored. Terminator. He's got his jaw wired shut. He's got the neck brace on, the the arm cast, so he's you know walking like a Ken doll. And people love him. Yeah, he's like a hero now for killing somebody. <laughs> That's also another subplot that never goes anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like the last thing we know is there's a he's in the paper. There's a headline that says that he's the suspect of a murder or whatever. We never really see him clear his name or. <laughs> and then he's like the Jim Henson photo of him where he's holding up his puppet. <laughs> Uh, Martin Weir, Danny DeVito is just super cocky in this about the project and you know who he's going to be, what he's going to do, and he even busts out the look at me, just to kind of nail the point home. He like orders food and leaves. And leaves. What a dick. Who does that? How wasteful. But w- what was really? What did we learn in this scene? No, it's 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 just a reiteration of the joke of oh they're making 
like DeVito is interested in the movie that they're not making. So he's because he shows up, but he's not talking about uh, Mr. Lovejoy. He he's shows up to talk about the Travolta that's project. That's right. That's right. And they just listen to him. And he's clearly him. got a raging heart on for Travolta because he drives a minivan now after seeing Travolta drive one. It's the Cadillac of minivans. It's the Cadillac of minivans. Uh, well, I, I think he he swings both ways because he's also every time that he. He runs into Rene Russo. He's like, like he, smells her face. And he's shit. like, you smell so good. And then he tries to go for the lips, and Rene Russo has to give him the cheek. Yeah. And credit to her. Oh, yeah. Strong, independent woman until we get to the climax of the movie. Uh, back on the trail with Bo. Uh, he is leveraging Tony Soprano's daughter against him, uh, Bear. Uh, now that he's down one man in uh, Uncle Rico, he devises this plan to get the money and also kill Chili Palmer. And he tells Bear that he's going to help him do it or, you know, some shit's going to happen. And that, that creepy scene of him holding his daughter just, you know. Uh, so he leverages that situation. Uh, what this leads to is Bo breaking into Karen's house and just basically a direct shot-for-shot rehash of what happened already in this movie. Uh, difference is he he tries to kill Chili right there, but he's unable to. But he kidnaps Karen. Right. It's uh, it, the movie has shown Travolta to be infallible. Mm-hmm. He comes out on top no matter what you throw at him. You throw Tony Soprano at him, he kicks him the balls. You throw uh, the airport security at him, he outsmarts them. You throw uh, Dennis Farina at him, he breaks his nose. Right. So here, there's no indication that Delroy Lindo is going to be successful at no. all. And he's not. Until uh, Rene Russo fucks up. There's, they're having a stare down, and then she, for no reason... Screams? Screams, like the scream queen she's supposed to be. And I thought that this was going to be her saving the day. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like she's using her screaming powers to distract Delroy Lindo so that Travolta can get the upper hand. Mm-hmm. But instead, no, her scream prompts Lindo to shoot, which prompts Travolta to sh- jump out of the way. And then when he gets up... She's been taken hostage. Yeah. What the fuck? She was the the one strong, independent woman in the movie. and Reduced to a cliche. Reduced to a hostage, literally. That's, the, that's what she does in the last 10, 15 minutes. So Travolta has the 300000 in cash, shows up at Bo's loft, gives him the bag of money, uh, gets Karen. They're fixing to leave, and Bo pulls a gun on him, says something like, I can't wait for you to be dead. And, and uh, we all agree. Yeah. And then Travolta turns to Tony Soprano in like a look of, hey, can you kind of help me out here? And then Bear just starts beating the shit out of him. But there's something going on. There's like a twinkle in his eye while he's beating up Danny Zuko. And he keeps backing up Bo. He's like using Bo as like a backboard to punch Travolta in the stomach over and over again. Until they get out to his deck. And Tony Soprano apparently rigged it to give. Because he backs Bo into it and then knocks him over the edge. Yeah, it's... I don't know how much of this was planned and how much of it was just Tony Soprano improvising because Travolta falls too and mm-hmm. and Soprano catches him in the nick of time. Yeah. So was he really beating him and, and or was this all orchestrated by him and Travolta because he's a stuntman, right? So yeah. you think he could pull his punches. And uh, then when Travolta gets pulled back up, he he is not any worse for wear. He's not bruised or no. bloody. And we know this movie doesn't shy away from Showing you people getting bruised and bloodied. Except for when it's Gene Hackman and Bette Midler <laughs> having sex. But yeah. <laughs> the bruising, bloody kind of sex that you can have. That only people of a certain persuasion and 
experience level can have. There's, there's Hollywood deviants. <laughs> so Travolta's fine. Uh, Bo's dead. Tony Soprano rides off into the sunset. With his daughter. With his daughter. Um, where does Karen go at this point? She goes with him because they go, they go to, his hotel, to his hotel to pick up his stuff, I think. Yeah, but she's not in the room when uh, Ray Bones confronts Travolta. No, she stays in the car. Okay. So Travolta goes up to his room. Ray Bones uh, confronts Travolta, says, you know, we can just call it even. We should be friends. Uh, but he pats him down and he finds the key to the locker. No, first he pats him down. And that's when, when he finds the key to the locker. That's when he says... Okay, that's like his peace offering. I take this and we're even. Right. Well, he, I take this and you don't tell anybody that I took this. Mm-hmm. Because basically he's planning to take the money that's in the locker for himself, not report it to his boss. So, And he knows. Oh, okay. Travolta just told him, I like it here, so I'm going to stay in L.A. Yeah. It's a very unsatisfying uh, resolution to this conflict. Because if anybody needed to be beaten up to a pulp in this movie... It was Dennis Farina. Mm-hmm. And the person who had the most likelihood of succeeding at that was Travolta. Mm-hmm. So when you get them both in a hotel room with Farina pointing a gun at Travolta at the end of the movie, I'm like, okay, this is it. Here we go. Just what happened to Gene Hackman, I want to see happen to Dennis Farina. But no. Well, in the end, I think he gets his comeuppance, but we don't even get to see it. Once again, <laughs> the movie shine away from, from showing us what we really want to see. So Dennis Farina goes to the airport, goes to the locker, the DEA agents start to surround him, and then we morph to a reality in the not-so-distant future where Harvey Keitel is playing the Ray Bones character, and then he turns around to DeVito Weir, who I guess is supposed to be playing Chili Palmer? Or a DEA agent. Okay. But we're on a movie set, and it's like the opening of Austin Powers 3 at this point, where I can't separate reality and fiction and fictional reality and not really sure what's going on it's uh uh and penny marshall's there for some yeah, reason. yeah penny marshall is directing the movie which already what is this <laughs> is it clueless too it's <laughs> <laughs> alicia silverson dad uh and also yeah why is danny the video not why is he playing a cop what is is this mr lovejoy i don't know i don't have the answer for you i spoiler alert be cool does not tell you no so we will never know. We just know that, that I guess, Harvey Keitel was hard up for money at this point. <laughs> and that we all ride off into the sunset in minivans. Yes. Except yeah. for uh, Tony Soprano, who's already there. He was already, he drove straight to the set of the Sopranos <laughs> to start filming. Shaved on the way there to the audition. And then, oh shit, I still have this kid with me. <laughs> uh, yeah, we all drive minivans and our lives get made into movies and Hollywood seems really easy to conquer. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, like I told you, how lazy from Travolta to just go from one gangster movie to the other, right? It's, uh, he gets a second chance at prove his versatility. He surprises everybody with Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. And then he just goes with like the, probably the closest character he could have picked out of uh, out of whatever he got offered. It's like, oh, well, let me play another gangster. Yeah. Like you said, I'll just cut my hair. And then not just that, but I'll just be in a movie that basically spits on everything that brought me back here. (laughs) (laughs) The industry that made me. Right. And that just brought me back. Yeah. They're giving me a second chance, so fuck it. And then when that didn't work, 
He did Battlefield Earth. <laughs> well, that was still a few years off. I think we had a couple wedged in here. We had Phenomenon. So when that didn't work, he that did was, Phenomenon. Well, Phenomenon was him trying to use his powers for good instead of <laughs> his powers for revenge. But we did get a very sympathetic Gene Hackman, so I guess it's a catch-22. It's Yeah. What a mess, this movie. Are you ready for real talk? <laughs> Let's do real talk. Let's move along. Look at me. It's the 53rd annual Golden Globe Awards. The nominees for best performance by an actor in a motion picture, musical, or comedy are Michael Douglas, the American president. Harrison Ford, Sabrina. Steve Martin, Father of the Bride, part two. Patrick Swayze to Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. And John Travolta, Get Shorty. And the winner is John Travolta, Get Shorty. I don't know exactly what I've done to deserve the goodwill that I feel that the uh, public and the press and the industry has uh, given to me recently, uh, but I truly do appreciate it. And I'd like to thank the Hollywood Farm Press for making this last year so special for me, starting with uh, Pulp Fiction and then ending with this award for Get Shorty. I'd like to uh, thank uh, Frank Mancuso and Mike Marcus uh, for making this movie. I'd like to thank Danny DeVito, uh, Stacy Scher, Michael Schamberg for convincing me to do this picture, along with the help of Quentin Tarantino, and Barry Sonnenfeld for including me in on his vision. The writer, Scott Frank, for brilliantly adapting uh, the wonderful Get Shorty novel, Elmore Leonard. And uh, you know, every actor knows that uh, he's only as great and can only be as great as the actors that surround him. So uh, in Get Shorty's case, it was completely the case. And uh, I think uh, Gene Hackman, Rene Russo, Delroy, Lindo, Dennis Farina, Danny DeVito, and uh, all of the amazing cast and crew that was involved in making that picture. I'd like to also thank my manager, Jonathan Crane, wherever you are. I'd like to uh, thank my agents, uh, Nicole, Nicole David and Fred Westheimer, and uh, uh, Sue, Susan Pyle, Jerry Rich, and uh, Paul Block and uh, Michelle Bega, and also my friends. Uh, my friends, Anson, Linda, Ronnie, Jeff, Michelle, and uh, Susan Such. And at the risk of sounding cliche, look at me. <laughs> I'm the one telling you that I won the Golden Globe. Good night. Okay, recording for Real Talk. All right. Get Shorty. Part one of the finale of Summer of Travolta. Uh... From my understanding, I have not had not seen this or Be Cool. My understanding is this is much better than Be Cool. Um, I won't say anything. I'll let you experience Be Cool. And this is just a delightful romp. Uh, released on October 20th, 1995, uh, with a budget of $30 million, which astonished me that it was that low. Uh, box office return of $115 million. I know I was kind of surprised. Obviously, that's not a low amount of money, but I was kind of surprised to read that because I thought I remembered this being like a huge hit when it came out. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess... Do you think Travolta, were you thinking that Travolta would have brought more box office after Pulp Fiction? Or Yeah, I mean, just based on, I remember a lot of parents talking about it when I was a little kid, so that's probably just 
inflated memory or inflated importance in my mind. Uh, but 87% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, meaning there's about a 13% of people out there that do not care for it. What were the, the critiques? There's, there's three quotes Was worth reading. Con- confusion of Gene Hackman's comedic <laughs> performance? It's Gene Hackman trying to be funny. Uh, Dragon Unto Love from rec.arts.movies.reviews says, High expectations, oh <laughs> high expectations only led to huge disappointment. Okay. Not Pulp Fiction. Uh, David Nusser from Real Film Reviews says, It seems clear that Get Shorty will appeal mostly to those familiar with the source material, as it has to be more coherent and fleshed out than this. It's one of those guys that's like, I read the book, book's better. Yeah. And finally, Fred Topple from About.com says, I really never got into this. It's slow. Some industry jokes are funny, but mostly really slow. Rene Russo looks great, though. <laughs> All right, brother. Um, interesting trivia that I found during research. Travolta declined to be in it, but was convinced to take the role by Quentin Tarantino. I guess they were buddies after that. Uh, Elmore Leonard said the Martin Weir character, Danny DeVito, is based off his dealings with Dustin Hoffman. Ooh. So I thought that was Sick hilarious. Sick burn. Yeah. Um, Samuel Jackson was the first po- uh, first choice to play Bo, which of course he was. <laughs> Delroy Lindo needs to play more Samuel Jackson roles. Oh, absolutely. Dude, him on The Hateful Eight, that would have made the movie so much better. Uh, him and Django Unchained, that would have been excellent. Uh, and lastly, Warren Beatty turned down the role of Chili Palmer, which I thought that would have been pretty interesting. Did they have a time machine? <laughs> uh, Warren Beatty? Dick Tracy? Yeah. What do you mean? Okay, he is still pretty fucking old in, what is this, 94, 95? Yeah. I mean, he's not Travolta's age. No, he's not. Oh, I see what you mean. Um, yeah. Or are you talking about like way back in the day when Get Shorty was first written or something? I, just, I, I don't question me. That's just a bit of trivia that I found. So um, <laughs> The senior citizen version of Get Shorty. Chili <laughs> Midler would have played Karen. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, no, this is a lot of fun. Uh, Julio and I talked about before we recorded the mark of a good movie here that we found is that when we get kind of sucked into the movie and our notes are pretty minimal. Uh, I found a lot of our bad movies, we have pages upon pages of notes, but good movies, the, the true mark of that is lack of that. But I think we were able to recount the plot pretty well. But yeah, really good, really funny, really quick. Gene Hackman's awesome in it, despite you know what we said in the previous portion. Uh, I've always thought Dennis Farina was kind of underutilized. I just thought he was a yes. really good actor. I mean, he's kind of playing the Dennis Farina role once again. I think we mentioned it during uh, our Reindeer Games episode, where it's just like Farina playing Farina. Mm-hmm. Maybe like a more asshole, violent version of Farina. But it's yeah. still, I don't feel like he's stretching his muscles, but that's fine mm-hmm. because he's he's really funny, even when doing stuff that's really off-putting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to say that him punching that lady was funny. But no, that... I said, whoa, when we were watching that, because that kind of comes out of nowhere. It's not totally consistent with the rest of the movie. But I think it is totally consistent with, with his, his character. character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy is its a piece of shit, and I was not kidding, Contreras Corner. I, I'm always a little disappointed that he doesn't get uh, more of a comeuppance on mm-hmm. screen. You know, it's, uh, it's funny that he ends up getting arrested, which is probably legally the best thing that can happen <laughs> instead of Travolta putting a bullet in the back of his head or even beating him up. Yeah. But uh, it's a little 
unsatisfying when you've seen him do all these horrible things. Yeah. Uh, it is funny when he's beating Gene Hackman, though. Not, maybe not the first time you watch it. I don't know how you felt about it. Knowing that it's coming, it's a little easier to take for me. Yeah. But I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> because you think that somebody's going to come and save him. And mm-hmm. no, it just he almost kills him. Uh, directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, uh, director of oh, he did the Adams Family, the 1991 with uh, oh, you're right, yeah, with uh, Raul Julia, and that was Angelica Houston also. Yes, and uh, uh, Doc Brown, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Uncle Fester, uh, Men in Black, as you mentioned before we recorded, he directed Men in Black Two as well. Ooh. Yeah, we'll hold that against him. Oh wow, he directed RV, the Robin Williams <laughs> joint. That, Which that, I, I've seen it twice. Okay. <laughs> I've seen it once, so I can't. And he directed Men in Black 3. All right. Mm-hmm. Return to form. Yeah. I never saw it. Oh, it's so good, man. I heard. It's, it's not as good as the first one, but it's it's pretty good. It has um, Thanos. What's the name of? Uh, Josh Brolin? Yes. Josh Brolin playing uh, young Tommy Lee Jones. Cause yeah, he, I remember the. Back in time. Yeah, the promotional materials for it. Uh, no, this is good. I mean, Travolta, I'm not going to say it's too far of a stretch. He's certainly, I don't, he's not forgettable, but he's certainly the last one I was talking about when it was over. Um, yes, and no, I guess. His comedic delivery is excellent. He's just so great. I mean, it's just the, the problem, and it's not really a problem. I mean, we should all have this problem. It's just that he's, it's so effortless for him to play cool mm-hmm. at this point in his career that it's almost like in this movie you it's easy to take him for granted because it's it's also the movie is he just coasts along he mm-hmm. never really has serious problems until the very very end and even that he overcomes very I guess easily. that's the truth he plays cool so convincingly and so easily that it just kind of washes over you and then you're more right. you're more interested in like Gene Hackman and right you know. that. Uh, or, or even somebody that's more relatable, like Rene Russo. I think she's so great in this mm-hmm. movie, and a lot of it is, uh, like we mentioned in several of these, a lot of it is just her reactions to the insanity. When you get that yeah. character that just gets to react, uh, and she's so good when uh, when Danny DeVito starts doing his acting bullshit, and she's like, "Please stop!" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when he, he's like getting into character and like praying and whatnot. And she's like, "Oh Jesus!" <laughs> yeah, that's excellent. Um, I feel I keep going back to Gene Hackman just because it's like he's he's such a good actor and like having never seen this, this was kind of a departure for him. Right, he's he's a standout, and Uh, I had no idea Bette Midler was in it, and she's in it for like a total of like five minutes. Five minutes, but yeah, she's really funny and entertaining, memorable. Yeah, even if she hadn't um, disrobed, Mm -hmm. I think it's still just she comes in she does her bit and then she's out yeah uh delroy lindo i i really like him i've seen him in plenty of movies but of course this one's the one that i always think of yeah uh because he's, he's he's the bad guy right he's the bad guy but he's also so i i think it's just very disarming in a way that so many people in this movie are just dying to get into the movie business mm-hmm. so it's not just travolta who who watches movies like a child you know there's this childlike wonder at just being behind the scenes and taking mm-hmm. meetings, all stuff, but but then you have uh, uh, Delroy Lindo, which like uh, after the movie was done, uh, the DVD menu was playing, and they name all the characters, and Lindo is the wannabe, oh. and it's like that describes him because he's just he has this 
I'm he, assuming successful limo business. Yeah. He just wants to make a movie, man. <laughs> well, that and he thinks he's a badass until those Colombians come and he realizes how fucks he how fucked he is. That's that's great too. Um, James Gandolfini again. I, did, I wasn't aware he was in this. So he, young James Gandolfini, but God, what a, just all around, always a polished actor. He he really gives humanity to a very a role that could have easily just been like. Easily would have been the heavy. Vinnie right? Jones and uh, Swordfish. No lines. Just there. <laughs> yep. The, the muscle. He's just there to to beat Travolta up or try to. But he he has that reaction when Travolta asks him how many movies he's been in. Mm-hmm. And he just has this sheepish, sheepish smile. And he just goes like, about 60. <laughs> uh I wasn't joking too much in the first portion. The plot does get kind of convoluted. But, oh, dude, I love it so much. I, but it all pulls together. Right. And it's, it's I, I couldn't tell you, I don't remember, if I was able to follow every beat of the plot the first time I watched it. Now I know, because I've seen this movie so many times. I'm like, oh, A leads to B to C to D, mm-hmm. while F, G, H, and I are playing parallel. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... Uh, and then I've read the book, which, and unlike, we're not going to get into Be Cool yet, but I'll, I'll just say that. Trepidatious. Unlike in Be Cool, the book gets shorty. It's pretty much like the movie, or rather the movie is pretty much like the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Be Cool, the book is really good, and the movie departs from it early on, yeah. and I think that's a mistake. Um, but there's everything, and a lot of, of the stuff that I love in the movie is from the novel, like a lot of the the dialogue is just lifted from Elmore Leonard's work. That's great. I mean, it works great. Uh, I remember reading that uh, Travolta fought a lot for for his dialogue to be to remain the way it was in the original script. Nice. Because it said that, like, early on, right, he, he doesn't have the coat. Like, his coat is gone. And, and he has this really long, like, embellished line about how, like, well, that, if you don't have my, that coat... If you don't have my coat, then you better pay me the three hundred thousand dollars that my ex-wife paid for it. Yeah, whatever. It's it's a big thing. And then they wanted to cut it down to like, "Where's my coat? You need to get me my coat." And he was like, "No." The whole fun of it is the language and just how this character talks. You know, he's not just a goon that goes around breaking people's legs. He's he's a guy that's like proud of how he talks and. He's a movie fan. Yeah, that's a, that's always an interesting twist on characters like that, be it loan sharks or killers or anything. When they're like intellectual and they, you know, they have an expansive vocabulary, and his knowledge of movies is really uh, a fun quirk to his character here. Um, probably the perfect follow-up to Pulp Fiction, just to continue that whole aura of cool and I'm back type thing. Yes, uh, I mean. You would say dangerous in maybe taking a chance at getting typecast as a gangster, mm-hmm. but you could also say Travolta would just be happy to be working, and it's a great script, so why not do it? Um, I don't know what he did after Get Shorty. I think uh, it would have been phenomenon. That was really? 96, yeah. Well, it only took two movies for him to just. <laughs> I mean, come on now, phenomenon comparatively speaking. Right. I mean, it's <laughs> the two thousands were yet to come. <laughs> Yeah, it's not like he went directly into basic or uh, swordfish. Which two thousands? What's been good? Uh, Hairspray and Bolt. <laughs> Bolt's awesome. It's it's all right. I uh, calm down. <laughs> Much like Chaz, you need to calm down. It's, it's a Pixar wannabe movie. 
That's yeah. Th- th- okay, they all are. I guess I was about to say. Did, I thought you were a Wreck It Ralph fan. Oh, that is that is pretty much a Pixar movie. It's not though. <laughs> I put Bolt on close to that same level. I I don't know about that. I mean, I would have to rewatch it. I I just really enjoyed it. I've probably seen it twice, but I remember really. I think it was because I was caught off guard by it. Did you say I've only seen it twice? Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> I screened it and then I went back and watched it again. So. That's that's once more than most people have watched Bolt. I think. But I remember being caught off guard by it, and I thought it was really, really good. I I don't know. <laughs> okay, you can go back and watch it and prove me I, right. I might. And you're forgetting the most important part: the original song for it, Miley Cyrus and Travolta did a duet. Oh my god! <laughs> Do you not remember that? No. <laughs> oh fuck! You know what? Uh, here's where you, I will give you the benefit of the doubt. I think I saw it in Spanish. I, I might have watched it dubbed in Spanish because it's a, it's a kid's movie and I saw it in theaters. Mm-hmm. So I might have. Yeah, that, there's a lot lost when you don't have I mean, Miley Cyrus and John Travolta. John Travolta. Uh, and yeah, God, I'm, the things we didn't do, taking a Pelham 123 <laughs> from Paris with Love, I'm just thinking of all the shit he's had in the 2000s. Yeah, let's... Yeah, no, we're we're not there yet. Hey, no, we, we have one more movie. Let's not eulogizing. Let's not start eulogizing the summer of Travolta yet. No, no, no. no. I, and I could say the, all the good stuff he did in the eighties and seventies and <laughs> whatnot. Um, but yeah, so it was Pulp Fiction, this, and then Phenomenon. Which the whole sidebar we got on there is Phenomenon is not on par with this or Pulp Fiction, but it's not. But at that terrible. point, he was like, "I have two great movies under my belt. Mm-hmm. Let's." I want to give Let's Eric Clapton the rub. He needs another <laughs> single. Uh, no, this is such a um, a unique cast would be the best way of describing it. Because obviously not uh, my Rene Russo, Gene Hackman, and Danny DeVito are not in Be Cool. Is that correct? Uh, I think uh, DeVito has a cameo. Maybe. Well, he's, he's, or he might have a cameo in the book. I don't remember now. He's awesome in this because he's the... The, the Heath Ledger Joker thing about, like, when he's not on screen, you're wondering when he's going to come back because he's so entertaining. <laughs> yeah, he really nails the pretentious actor oh, perfect type. Yeah. yeah. Getting into character and then, like, just talking about himself. In that fucking book, like, the weird times, <laughs> the picture that's used for the cover of it is... It's like uh, there's a Simpsons where they find Homer's uh, autobiography that was never released. It's called Homer, I Hardly Knew Me. And it's a picture just like that, like <laughs> of uh, a stilted shot. There is uh, – well, I was going to say, would you call this a Travolta vehicle? No. This really? Is, this is an ensemble cast. Wow. Travolta Alex. sticks out, obviously, because he's the man of the summer. But also at that time, he was the the guy out of the bunch in the movie and the guy back on the rise. But yeah, this is definitely an ensemble cast. Oh no, I I have to disagree wholeheartedly. I think even more so. I mean, last episode when we we're talking about swordfish, and you're like, "This is not a Travolta vehicle." I don't care if he gets first billing; mm-hmm. it's still he's just a bad guy. There's the Hugh Jackman war wagon, is what that was. Yeah, and I, I I agree with that. Really, I mean, I think that Travolta is probably the biggest draw in that movie, but but it is a Hugh Jackman vehicle mm-hmm. with Travolta as as. As a bad guy, this is. I think it's a Travolta vehicle, not just because he's the draw, but also he does carry the story. It's just that again, it's so effortless. <laughs> he's just, he's just 
gliding through this plot. And it's, I guarantee that's by design, too. That he's oh, the, oh, yeah, 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 yeah definitely. I, cool as a cucumber sailing on the Antarctic, and then the, there's, like, everything else is chaos around him. Yeah, that's going to be pretty awesome to be John Travolta and just make this and Pulp Fiction back-to-back. Yeah. And, and maybe there's some of that confidence shining through in the performance. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm back, baby. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, I'm back. <laughs> Throw whatever you want at me. Like I said when we did the episode, talking about cool and all that, fucking Pulp Fiction, him dancing to Chuck Berry is like one of the defining moments in the history of a white man being cool. <laughs> rare, rare moments, but that, God bless. And uh, here's the same. Like when he's teaching uh, DeVito how to act and everything, uh-huh, it's uh-huh. like fuck, this is great. And when he the introduction scene with him and um, Gene Hackman, and he's kind of just running him down about what he, what he's gonna do and all that, it's fucking wonderful. Anytime he has a one on one with anybody, and he's just he's just cool. He mm-hmm. just tells them you know what's what, and because uh, he has a he has a conversation with uh, Delroy Lindo mm-hmm. where they're talking about the script, and uh, Delroy Lindo has that whole speech about oh you know anybody can do it blah blah, blah. and then Travolta's like then what the fuck do I need you for yeah <laughs> I could just do it myself and why do I need you yeah uh and god bless David Pamer man oh yeah <laughs> I have seen him now that we're not in Katrina's Corner he has at least one movie where he plays a badass really it's a comedy you won't be surprised to hear that <laughs> no he is a it's a David Mamet movie about uh uh the making of a movie and uh he plays the producer. He comes in halfway through the movie because uh, they're having some issues with the shooting. And he comes in and he's just like sunglasses and a suit and uh, starts berating people. Nice. He, he comes in to put the fear of God on uh, uh, Carrie from Sex and the City. Sarah Jessica Parker. Sarah Jessica Parker. Because she she had agreed to do a nude scene, but now she's backing out of it. Mm. So he comes in to just yell at her and remind her what her contract what is. Have been? Oh man, it's like it has a great cast too. It has Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, Alec Baldwin. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He was also in Red Belt, which David Mamet did. Is he? Who does he play there? I don't remember. I just know he. I remember he was being in it when he was squirrely, said, weaselly guy that steals. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you ever seen that movie? Oh yeah, yeah. I it's, own it. I think it's interesting. Yeah. I, I remember enjoying it. It's one of the movies that I bought for maybe $2. Oh, yeah. Maybe $3 I got at it Walmart. Hastings for one or two bucks. Yeah. And then it was, I got it because of David Mamet and because I like Chiwetel. F4. Yeah. And uh, I forget the female lead in it. Oh, and it has that random, really solid Tim Allen performance. Yes. Tim Allen is in it. I forgot. Uh, the, the actress is uh, Emily Mortimer. Yes. But I think she might be playing an American in that she one, is. right? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. David Pamer, <laughs> interesting career. Yeah. Maybe the summer of Pamer is <laughs> in the future. Uh, the forgotten ones. <laughs> David Pamer. Like I told Julio we're recording, I always think of uh, five-year engagement when I see him. It's just uh, it's like a collection, a, uh, a Blu-ray collection. It's David Pamer. Uh, back like, for more. Uh, back for all my hits. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's one of those combo Blu-rays that's just... <laughs> All his scenes from movies. Uh, yeah, this was great. I kind of feel like my tone may be underselling it. It's just 
a movie I've heard so much about that I'm kind of surprised I'd never seen it. It was pretty much everything that I expected it to be. Well, you know what? I, I actually now, you, you just reminded me, I was underwhelmed the first time I watched it. And it was kind of that, that it had been built up so much in my mind. It opened, unless I'm mistaken, from my recollection is that it was in Peru in theaters for a week. It, I was pumped. The to... anti-Titanic. <laughs> yes. I, I was really pumped to watch it because it was the follow-up to Pulp Fiction. And I was like, okay, the new Travolta movie, everybody's saying it's great. I'd seen the trailer. The trailer shows you kicking uh, James Gandolfini in the balls. I was like, this has got to be great. And uh, so my dad and I go out for movie night. It's just the two of us. We get to the theater and they're showing they're they're having a special screening of Twelve Monkeys nice. that that wasn't gonna open for another like two three weeks maybe longer, and so my dad knows that and I'm if like you're a first time listener. Twelve Monkeys is like Julio's favorite movie ever. <laughs> I don't know about ever, but definitely my favorite. Terry Gilliam, maybe my favorite. When Bruce it comes Willis. up, Julio would be at the he could be on the other end of the room at a party and just zoom. you guys talking I, about Twelve Monkeys? I light up like Travolta when he got the screenplay for uh, for Get Shorty. <laughs> Or Travolta now when somebody brings up Good Shorty. <laughs> you watch Good Shorty? Uh, Have you seen Battlefield? Eh? <laughs> That's uh, Barry Pepper. <laughs> oh. uh, but yeah, so so my dad knows I'm a big science fiction fan. And, and so he, he, he was like, do you want to just watch this one? We watch the Travolta movie next week. And I'm like, sure, let's do it. But we watched 12 Monkeys, loved it. And then next week, Get Shorty was gone. Oh. <laughs> And it was gone for a long time. Like I didn't get a chance to watch it until I don't remember, maybe a year later. And uh, and by then I'd watch other movies. It's I don't know. It had been building up in my head. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and when I watched it, I was just underwhelmed by the things that I I don't dislike now, but definitely are not the best. Such as Dennis Farina getting away without a good beatdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Rene Russo becoming. You know, a cliche like the princess in the Mario Brothers games, where she's just like locked away in a bathroom. Help me, Travolta! (laughs) You're Rene Russo. It's in another castle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we head out here, I did want to make mention the minivan gag is brilliant. Oh, dude, so good. Uh, It's so understated, too, because. Just when fucking DeVito pulls up in the minivan, (laughs) it's fucking wonderful. It's. Right, it comes up four times, right? It's like first when Travolta gets it, and they're like, it's the Cadillac of minivans. And you're like, okay, that's a cute, you know, but you don't expect it to ever come back. But then, like, he knows it's like, he knows it's really broke ass to have, but he has to present <laughs> it like it's awesome. And so he's like, check this out. And he presses the button, and the door opens <laughs> automatically. And DeVito, oh man, can I take that for a spin? What does he say? He's like, I like to sit high, look out, see what's going on. <laughs> Yeah, and then of course at the end, how would you like the Harvey Keitel cameo? I was gonna say, I wonder if Tarantino had to talk him into that as well. <laughs> no, that was cool. Uh, Penny Marshall. I mean, those are always fun. Is the way to describe scenes like that. Right. They have you know people that are in the movie for thirty seconds that of notoriety. You know, that's I love Tropic Thunder. That movie's the foundation of it is pretty much that. <laughs> so I'm. With what I knew about this and what I know about Be Cool, I don't know if I'm anticipating our next episode so much. I'm interested, though. Well, and the main thing I can take away, obviously, as a wrestling fan, but more importantly, as a fan of Dwayne Johnson, uh-huh, uh-huh. everyone who talks about the movie says it sucks, but The Rock's really good in it. I think I could be wrong. You might know this. Is this the next thing he did after uh, The Scorpion King? Is that it? He did Doom, baby, in between those. <laughs> 
<laughs> he did Doom. Um, I think he did a couple things. Southline Tales was 07. And then... Trying to remember the first movie that because he was still The Rock here and and, yeah, and, be, and cool. be cool. Yeah, the first movie he did where he was Dwayne the Rock Johnson was that Disney movie where he's a football player with a daughter, the Game Plan or something. It's not the the Tooth Fairy. No, that is him though, right? Yeah, I watched that and I was like, <laughs> DJ baby, what are you doing? Uh, and that's the, that's the one that made you go. Maybe I'll need to watch every movie he's in. I think that was it. Yeah, <laughs> and Gridiron Gang too. I haven't seen it. Is that in prison? Like a prison football team. Yeah. Anyway, I'm excited to see his performance. It's it's another all-star cast. Mm-hmm. Like Vince Vaughn's in it, right? Vince Vaughn, uh, Cedric the Entertainer, uh, the guy from Outcast. Uh, a lot more black people here. I don't really... I can't be bothered to criticize Get Shorty for only having one black dude and he's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a second one. There's um, Dennis Farina. Dennis Farina's henchman main henchman mm-hmm. is also black but uh i think delroy lindo is so cool in it that yeah. it just it's good enough yeah. you know but i'm not black so i don't know let's ask chris Lemchi. <laughs> yeah i'm sure he has an opinion on that um but yeah it's not like the cast is like a, a massive cast of hundreds of characters and there's only one black person there's like seven characters and all regardless i understand the point of that and thank god we've done a lot to diversify hollywood <laughs> since then yeah uh but I just I just didn't even feel like making a point of it in Contrarian's Corner, I guess, because yeah. it, it was just <laughs> it's a non-factor. It's not like there are movies we've watched for this that it like stands out. There's not one eth- character of any ethnicity besides white. And it's like, man, this kind of brings the movie down right here. It's the story they wanted to tell was this and it works just fine. Uh, and again, more importantly, for the summer of Travolta, we're not here to talk about the foibles of racism in Hollywood. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he. It, it's becoming what we say on every episode. It's just what an unbelievably talented guy, and you could really see in it here. He's like, he had the world by the balls, and he was, "I'm back, baby." <laughs> <laughs> this was not whatever his character's name is. Look who's talking to. This was a guy who had his swagger back. Oh yeah. Um, who then I discussed before we came on, since this is part one of part two, we're going to save any plugs proper for, uh, our, uh, send off with, uh, be cool. I know I said on swordfish cause we were recording back to back that I was going to plug something on this episode. So I will plug, uh, a big mistake I made today. <laughs> uh Or I guess an, an anti plug. Seven Eleven has this new hot dog called the Reaper. And I was like, Hmm. Food from 7-Eleven can't be too spicy. A hot dog. Yeah, a hot dog. And fortunately, I ate it alone in uh, our break room at work or in our training room. Dude, I was, like, sweating profusely. I couldn't breathe through my nose without, like, it being, like, fire coming in through my face. It was... <laughs> I love spicy food, but that, like, pushed it over the threshold. Right? I was just like, no go. So do not get the Reaper hot dog from uh, 7-Eleven. Unless you're into that stuff. Yeah, if you like that torturous spicy flavor go for it but uh on the lighter side on the brighter side on the more positive side uh the festive years provide our opening and closing tracks uh uh, last stand opens us up summer 99 always sends us out although i may have to send you uh when you edit this that travolta miley cyrus duet to put on this episode (laughs) 
Uh, but we always thank them. Their album, Don't Let Me Use You. Uh, they're kind enough to lend us our music. Uh, Hans Rothgeiser from the podcast Nacion Combi. He did our logo. He has a podcast called Nacion Combi. Uh, it's about Peruvian stuff. Um, I was I was listening to some of their back episodes mm-hmm. uh, while I was working out yesterday. And uh, I got to one where he was talking about doing the logo for us. <laughs> and his two co-hosts were like, why? <laughs> <laughs> And not even like, why did you do their logo? It was more like, why did they want you to do their logo? <laughs> and he was like, you know, I do that stuff. I'm, I'm an artist. I can do it. And they wouldn't believe him. Oh, well, they need to see our logo because it's fucking badass. <laughs> yes, we have a great logo. So if you want Hans to do your logo, uh, just contact him. Uh, he's at mildemonios at hotmail.com. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S at hotmail.com. And then he's also on Twitter at mildemonios, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S, like I said. Uh, and, you know, his podcast in Spanish, but you could learn Spanish and listen to it. Mm-hmm. All right. So it's becoming a somber tone here on The Contrarians as we're winding down uh, the summer of Travolta. Um, one movie left. One movie remains between... One st- a movie stands in the way between us and immortality, completing Summer of Travolta. But we got one more to go. We'll keep it cool. It will be cool. Uh, got it. That's the level of humor that you should expect for our final uh, entry. What a joy. But for now, that's going to do it for us. Uh, that was Get Shorty. We are the Contrarians. We're right and you're wrong. And we will see you next time as we conclude the Summer of Travolta. McConaughey went on to make Texas Chainsaw Massacre the next generation, <laughs> which now, uh, do we talk about on the podcast how the box art for that suddenly changed? No. They finally announced it was going to be released by Columbia. On, I think they own the rights to it on Blu-ray. And the Blu-ray box art was like Leatherface, Renee Zellweger, and Matthew McConaughey. And then like almost instantly, uh, the box art was reissued without Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger's pictures on it. Obviously, they can't take them out of the movie, but I think... Either one, because they're lawyers for McConaughey and Zellweger, both just their people. I don't know about their lawyers, but I remember they initially tried to get it banned from release at all. What the hell? It's a movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, are they like doing some nasty stuff in there? Or uh, it's weird. I mean, no. Renee Zellweger is the damsel in distress, and McConaughey is the crazy brother. He like kills people and lights people on fire, but it's worth it for the comedic aspect. I of mean, it. he was in Killer Joe. Yes, that that's kind of like when I watched that. I was like, hypocrite! You are a hypocrite. <laughs> Um, I thought you were going to tell me it was the other way around, that 
because now they're they're big movie stars that they now the poster for the movie the cover art was mm-hmm. featuring them more prominently than than uh, well just complete quick sidebar that movie uh, it was finished a la cabin in the woods it just didn't have any distribution and then dazed and confused was a big success and then jerry Maguire came out and then so columbia bought it to release it thinking it would be a big hit because it's got these people in it and then they like did everything they could to block it because it's a horrible movie. So it was only released in like sixteen movie theaters in the country. Um, but speaking of limited releases and hypocrites, <laughs> how can I transition this here? 